Welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. Joining me today are Georgia Ranji, who's a founding director, and Dave Pendleton, who's a consulting director for sustainable sourcing at Brody Partners. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much, Ian. Thanks, Ian. So we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the conversations at the recent Responsible Sourcing and Ethical Trade Conference that we were all at. Georgie, supply chain risk and transparency was a recurring theme at the event. How are you seeing corporate attitudes towards ethical and human rights risks evolving? When you look at the evolution over different timescales, that pace of change really differs. So if we think about the last even five years, I think it's been really characterised by huge changes in regulation, reporting requirements, and that, whether good or bad, has changed perception inside of big corporations of what do they need to know and how do they need to find that out in order to credibly respond to the trends of regulation and reporting. We look back, it feels like just yesterday, but back in 2015 with the UK Modern Slavery Act was one of the first indicators of that move. But of course, we've got much bigger conversations happening in the EU and there are ongoing US custom border controls. So this is not just located in certain geographies. We're really starting to see that this is becoming more global in the conversation and how that's dealt with. The corporate attitudes are changing. Of course, sectors face different challenges. Geographies have different key issues, but the attitudes towards ethical trade and human rights risks is maturing. And I say that cautiously because I think there's still quite a a decent amount of sophistication to build and learning to be done. And it's a continuous improvement journey, but I think it's maturing. Has it been regulatory risk when the lawyers are going to get involved? Is that, do you think, that's really shoved it into the boardroom conversation? I think it's escalated it, for sure. Having that legal risk or regulatory risk put into that beyond the risk to humans, which is, of course, the core of the human rights agenda is tackling, that brings it through a different lens into a senior conversation. As long as the catalyst being regulatory push, if that's the case, as long as then the work that follows that is not following too much of a tick box approach, because that won't get you to the best outcomes. If you're entering the room with the regulatory card and saying, you know, we have to do this, this is no longer a nice to do or a nice to have. I think then making sure that you're taking a strategic approach once you're in that room so that you're able to make a real difference, which is appropriate to your organization and impactful to the people that you're trying to help. So definitely attitudes to supply chain and operational human rights risks are certainly evolving. What about the transparency point then? In the past, there was perhaps something of a nothing to see here approach for many companies. Do you think the companies are more willing now to be open about what's going on and to be open and transparent around the fact that success really is finding the breaches and doing something about them? Success is an interesting one when it comes to the the human rights agenda with business because success isn't, oh, look, everything's perfect and squeaky clean. We found nothing because that's, of course, now, I think, more commonly known to be a massive red flag of your systems clearly aren't working. So I think we can all be honest with ourselves and, and say that in every supply chain, there will be risks, whether there are abuses or violations in there, whether you're contributing or causing those is a different discussion, but there will be risks. So I think that willingness to go beyond nothing to see here. I do think that regulation push is helping that and helping push people to look further. And I think because so much of the regulation is working towards transparency. I mean, we do have, of course, the upcoming mandatory due diligence push. To date, most things are working on a transparency outcome. So that's helping lift the curtain a little bit, I suppose. At the core of it is 
that over the last even 10 years or so, there's been a lot more reporting about what companies are doing, how they're finding these risks through all of this greater transparency. And so that means that there are greater known pockets of risk. Where do you look for issues and how do you then importantly address and prevent those once they're found? The transparency agenda is changing and um, how behaviours and how actions are happening inside of, of corporations. But I think crucially, and this is kind of the next step, is we need to move from the nothing to see here to let's find the issues. But importantly, it's we need to be ready of when you find those issues, what do you do? If we focus too much on shifting from nothing to see here to let's go find it, everyone will focus on process, everyone will focus on partnerships, and that's very important. But then everyone's going to panic when they find what's wrong. So I think remediation is key in that transition from moving away from nothing to see here to making meaningful impact. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it, that there needs to be an environment where companies can be comfortable to go and be transparent about what's going on. If you have a regulatory environment that is a a heavy stick approach to every time you find a problem, you're going to get sanctioned, well, then that will stop the looking for the problem. There's almost a, a challenge to make sure that the environment is correct. What does good regulation look like in this space? So much of the, is regulation good, is regulation bad for this? I think good regulation is great. <laughs> so what does good look like? I suppose it's where you build in transparency, that consistency has to be proportional, clear, targeted, accountable. But really crucially, is it has to be enforced and implemented in a way which is consistent and fair so that you don't end up with these unintended consequences of transparency or lack thereof. Good regulation here should be created in conjunction with business responsible businesses shouldn't be against good regulation because if they're part of the conversation they've got a seat at the table they're part of sculpting what that should be able to provide for a better system then their voice really matters being part of the conversation understanding what's the intended outcome of that regulation and how will that be enforced and regulated moving forward making sure that it's fair and done effectively is key and that's so much easier said than done i know i sit here without being in the depths of the european parliament um, conversations but that at its core to oversimplify is make it transparent proportional targeted accountable and make sure that as a business you're engaged in that conversation now dave you joined me at the conference in one of the wrap-up sessions something that came up then that we talked about was the whole issue around how to engage procurement professionals if you're going to engage procurement what are the big key points to make that happen at the end of day two i actually framed it be curious about your procurement function and i would still say that and why do i say that procurement is the business impact of your business is directly linked to your buying behavior has been my experience it makes sense to really understand what's driving that buying behavior and the other reason to engage in procurement function is that the only function within the business that's accountable for supplier relationships so when you think about first mile of a business it is procurement that is actually there it's uh, working with suppliers it's setting the commercial agenda how it's buying that buying behavior, which of course is set by the business. It isn't procurement who sets up that buying behavior. It's what does the business actually need? We also talked about thinking end to end. Be clear that your buying behavior, say the back end of the business, the first mile, if you get that wrong, from my experience, will have or can have an impact at the front end of your business. So you may think you're buying particularly brilliantly competitively, But then if you're losing revenue at the front end of your business, perhaps because your customers don't actually want some of the impacts that you perhaps don't know about in their products that are on their shelves, you begin to lose revenue. You've got to work with procurement and understand the end-to-end. But once you work with procurement, 
So understand procurement's agenda and what procurement is being asked to do by the business. You can then shape that into value creation. Procurement is there to create value for the business, and that can have a number of parameters, and that shifts into the sustainability space. I think be curious, understand that procurement is way more just than cost savings, which I think is usually where first people think procurement's all about. Of course, when you're talking about cost, the whole living wages issue comes into play. What's the role of procurement professionals in helping to ensure supply chain living wages? Yeah, we talked a lot about that in the conference. There was a realisation that a number of supply chains are probably broken. It's not equitable along the value chain. I think my first starting principle is understand the context of living wage, because living wage is linked to where are you actually buying, where you're buying your materials from, what's going on in that local context. And it can shift quite dramatically, even within a country. And think strategically, think strategically about your suppliers. And I'll link it back always to value creation. Reflect on your own business. A lot of these insights you know from your own business. I come from a manufacturing background. If you think within your own factories, you would have total production management, i.e. those on the production lines are the best people to ask what are the solutions. In a way, thinking about living wage, thinking about who you're sourcing from, understanding where those materials are being produced. My own experience is mainly in agriculture. And think, actually, if that living wage is all about how the people you're sourcing from, how does it enable them to be the most trained, the most safe workers? They're going to be the most productive. So really think that through. And you will have to be strategic about your suppliers because if you begin to pay a living wage and you've never thought about it in the past, you need to engage your business and your suppliers and really think that through. The benefits of that are a more productive, safe, well-trained and engaged value chain. It's a positive outcome, but go into it with your eyes open. Are there any specific keys then to unlocking the value that can come from engaging suppliers in wage issues? Your suppliers will always be a reflection of their customers' behaviour. If you've always treated your suppliers in a transactional way, don't be surprised that they treat you in a transactional way. You've got to be strategic. You've really got to think through who are going to be your suppliers to partner with. You can't engage in living wage in a transactional way. You can't just say, oh, yeah, one, one week we'll actually pay living wage. Oh, no, then we're going to switch suppliers. You've got to build relationship. You've got to build capability within your own business, but within your suppliers' business, because it is going to be an investment within that value chain. You've really got to think strategically where you're going to do that. Once you understand that, that becomes some brilliant business insights for yourself. In doing so, it then becomes an opportunity to share within the sector of best practice. And a further big theme that kind of links everything together was that around collaboration. When people talk about collaboration and have been talking about collaboration for some time, but I wonder if for you, are there any specific things in relation to dealing with human rights and worker issues, any specific things here that enable collaboration or that mean that collaboration is particularly important? It's thinking of 360 degrees in terms of human rights and collaboration. Worker voice is probably within supply chains is one of the richest data points for you. It's a little bit like PPM, my total production management point. Don't underestimate the value of worker voice. Those closest to the problem, engage with them. Trade unions, I think, as well. Trade unions can give a really good insight to businesses. Engage with government, of course. Business is a legitimate constituent government as well. And peers, of course. It is a pre-competitive space. And I think be honest where you need to lead. 
who would look at you as a business and say, well, you know, they really ought to be leading there on human rights, but you can't lead everywhere. And I think it's also be clear where you have to be an enthusiastic follower, learn from others, but then help them by implementing to and sharing within sector those best practices and inspire others. Lead where you have to lead, be an enthusiastic follower with the others who have to be leaders, because then it becomes scalable. Georgia, I think we had some good insights from our clients abroad as well, across mm-hmm. client collaboration. Yeah, Dave, I think where we see collaboration work really well is when there's clear communication of the objective of the collaboration and the roles of the different stakeholders. Because as you say, Dave, your worker voice, absolutely central, trade unions, government, peers. There's also so many open source tools out there these days. Even if you're at the beginning of your journey, take a look at all the various tools, whether that's from your peers, your competitors, because this is a pre-competitive issue. This is something that you should be working with your competitors to be able to tackle. Particularly, you can't lead all of this. There's not the opportunity to be at the forefront of every single issue. So you have to collaborate in order to create the scale and breadth of change that the human rights agenda within a global supply chain requires. Let's think about the future then. Georgie, you first. What do you think we'll be talking about at the conference next year? What I hope we'll be talking about is all the amazing stories of success and progress in the last year that we will have made. What I'd love to see next year, Ian, is really a conversation that is still orientated towards the practical. There are heaps and heaps and heaps of professional services firms and law firms out there writing briefing notes for us all on all sorts of what's the latest regulation, how do we make sure that we're ready, whatever it might be, you know, all the various different elements. But I think what true value from the Brody perspective comes from these conferences is hearing the stories of what challenges different organisations faced in tackling this together on their different journeys and their different supply chains. Um, and in their businesses, but also how did they get to remedy? How did they remediate these different issues and be able to tell that story openly and honestly? It's the practical examples that I'd love to hear more when we come together next year for this conference across sectors, across different scales, geographies. I think that's where that peer learning is so valuable because I think knowledge is relatively cheap these days. (laughs) So I think sharing experience is where that real value comes. Building on Georgie's great points, I would love to see procurement professionals at the front of the room talking about their scalable value creation opportunities that they've actually managed to land within the business and sharing that as best practice from a procurement perspective and that they're really genuinely scalable. That would be, I think, very inspiring. So more procurement professionals at the front go, well, yeah, this is how we turned it into value creation for our business. A lot of people get stuck in the, well, what's the business case? I think it's engage with the procurement function, turn it into value creation, which they understand, and they will deliver. So hearing those best practice examples of pragmatism, I think is very, very inspiring. I totally agree. Trying to engage procurement with all of this is clearly the next big challenge for everyone involved in this particular sector. It's been great talking to you. Dave Pendleton and Georgie Aranji from Brody Partners, thank you very much. Pleasure. Pleasure.